Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. For over 15 years, the Cersei Apprenticeship has been equipping teachers to understand the nature and principles of classical education and showing how those principles can be brought back to any classroom or homeschool. The Cersei Institute's Apprenticeship Program is an in-depth, personal teacher development community. With mentorship and community at its core, it's a program for teachers from all walks of life who want to drink deeply from the wisdom of the ages, engage in inspiring conversation with like-minded friends, and push hard towards truth, wisdom, and virtue. The mentor-apprentice relationship and the community that springs out of it is the very heart of the program. Each of the seven groups is kept small so that mentors and apprentices can truly know each other. The mentors guide the apprentices by providing assessment that blesses, accountability that strengthens, and regular discussions that nurture. The environment is welcome and safe. The community develops over shared meals and stories. The pedagogy is founded on Christian classical education forms, and the assessment is for the apprentice to flourish. These are the things that set this teacher training program apart. Do you have questions about how this apprenticeship works? Our head mentors are here to help. Each week this spring, one of them will be available online via Zoom to answer your questions about the program. So whether you have questions about the curriculum, the retreat experience, or the purpose of the program, the Cersei team is here to clarify. Visit searcyinstitute.org slash apprenticeship to check this week's date and time. You're listening to the Cersei Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 63, I'm on a roll this time. Today's proverb comes from Boethius. I'll read it twice. Bad fortune is of more use to men than good fortune. Once more, bad fortune is of more use to men than good fortune. 
I started Proverbial close to two years ago. And I've been waiting for the right moment to break out some quotes from Boethius. There are many proverbs from Boethius that I deeply love and recite to myself on a regular basis, on a daily basis, sometimes even more than once a day. Boethius figures heavily into my humanities catechism, which I sometimes say three times in a day. There's a long chunk of Boethius proverbs. I've been waiting to do a proverb on Boethius because I believed I'd said an awful lot about Boethius. And I wanted to wait a while before returning to him, lest I simply repeat many things that I had already said. I'm teaching the Consolation of Philosophy right now to close out the 2021 school year. I'm teaching it to three separate sections. And a lot of the same things that have moved me in the book for years, I still find moving. And new things stand out to me as well. So having waited an awful long time to tackle the sayings of Boethius, I'm going to spend the next several weeks just on quotations from the Consolation of Philosophy. And of all the sayings I could have started with, this one really sums up the argument of the first three quarters of the book most succinctly. So in this first episode on Boethius, I will need to retread a few things that I've covered before in How to Be Unlucky. But I'd like to break some new ground as well. So first things first, an awful lot of Boethius's sayings pertain to the concept of fortune. And when the modern man hears the word fortune, he often thinks of luck. And so bad luck is of more use to men than good luck. That's the way that we're inclined to intuitively, reflexively interpret today's proverb. Is there a difference between fortune and luck? There is a significant difference. Luck refers to accidents. And if you do a quick survey of a room full of people and ask them, when you think of good luck, what comes to mind? What most of them say is either winning the lottery or finding money on the ground. That's the ultimate form of good luck. It's the first, most iconic mental representation of good luck. <laughs> when, you, when the word luck passes through the air, your mind registers uh, an image of a man reaching down and pulling a $20 bill off the ground. When we think of bad luck, we think of falling and breaking a leg or getting struck by lightning. These are the, having done little polls among students, I know that this is 
what they most readily think of. And it's really the sort of thing that I think of. Slip on the ice, break your ankle. That's, that's some bad luck right there. But it is rather interesting, isn't it, that, that when we think of good luck, we think of getting money, and when we think of bad luck, we think of physical deformity and pain. We tend to not think of bad luck as the draining of money. The best thing we can think of is money, and the worst thing we can think of is pain. That's at least a sort of reflexive response people have to questioning luck. When Boethius refers to bad fortune and good fortune, he doesn't just mean bad luck and good luck. He does mean those things, but he doesn't merely mean those things. Fortune simply refers to pleasure. Bad fortune means unpleasant things, and good fortune means pleasant things. Now, bad luck is unpleasant, good luck is pleasant, but these two concepts, fortune and luck, they don't entirely overlap. And the reason for that is that pleasant things can be worked for. You can labor for pleasant things. You can't labor to be lucky, though. So there are many pleasant things that come to us, not by way of luck, but by way of work. If you're fat and you want to lose weight, diet and exercise will probably work for you. If you lose weight, that's good fortune. It's good fortune because it's pleasant and you worked for it. There are plenty of bad things that happen to us as well that would constitute bad fortune, and yet we're somewhat responsible for them. If you eat poorly, smoke and drink too much, you're going to get sick. Maybe even get sick in a way that's not easy to repair, not easy to fix. And if you've got a, a career smoker uh, who's diagnosed with lung cancer at the age of you know, 45. Yeah, it's some bad fortune, but it's not like you didn't see it coming. Bad luck cannot possibly be predicted. You can't see bad luck coming. You can't see good luck coming. If you go out looking for money on the ground, it's not really luck when you find it. At the same time, we can work for pleasant things and work for unpleasant things. Luck is always ready to stand between us and the things that we work for. Just because you seek out pleasant things in a moderate, sagacious sort of way doesn't mean you're going to get them. Good luck, chance is always capable of intervening. And there's an awful lot in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is about the unpredictability of chance, the unpredictability of luck, that you labor hard for something and then something steps in at the last second and prevents you from having it. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. So most of the time, diet and exercise mean weight loss, but not always. So Boethius says... Unpleasant things are of more use to men than pleasant things. 
What does it mean? What it doesn't mean is you've got to learn from your mistakes. That's not what this saying is about. He's not saying if you send your basketball team out and they lose by 90, you've just got to review footage of the loss until you figure out how to win next time. That's not really what's on the line here. Modern Americans love the idea of learning from your mistakes. That's scripture for modern American Christians. You've got to learn from your mistakes. There's really nothing like that in the Bible, though. I'm not saying I disagree. Sure, learn from your mistakes, fine. But that is sacrosanct advice. Learn from your mistakes. Turn unpleasant things into pleasant things. That's what learn from your mistakes means. That's what we often mean when we say learn from your mistakes. Don't give up. Keep seeking pleasant things. But Boethius is not sold on the idea that the best use you can put unpleasant things is in renewed zeal and capacity for seeking pleasant things. Bad fortune is of more use to men than good fortune. Well, for what? It's of more use to what end? There's no qualification placed on this statement. Unpleasant things are of more use to men than pleasant things. Bad fortunes of more use to men than good fortune. If it meant learn from your mistakes, the proverb would only be valuable for a certain period of life. And I say that because not a lot of 85-year-old men learning from their mistakes. Learn from your mistakes assumes that you've got enough time left to make it right, to make it better. Which may or may not be true. Learn from your mistakes assumes a long earthly life. It assumes that you've got time ahead of you. However, to cheat a little on the whole premise of this show of the proverbial program. It's worth noting that the man who said this would be executed in a matter of weeks, and he knew it. So this wasn't about learning from your mistakes, not in the conventional American way. If a business fails, figure out what you did wrong so that your next business won't fail. This, the saying is that Unpleasant things are useful in and of themselves, whether they can be converted into pleasant things later. The unpleasant thing is the learning. It's not something that leads to reformulating your theories so that you can go back and do better. This is not about doing better. This is really about doing worse. Unpleasant things are of more use to men than pleasant things. Bad fortune 
is of more use to men than good fortune. Now, the claim is not quite as radical as it sounds at first. And I'll, I'll qualify my interpretation of the saying before I even really give it. It's not bad fortune is good and good fortune is bad. Although Boethius may say that later in the book. For the moment, though, the saying is merely that good fortune and bad fortune are both useful. It's just that bad fortune's more useful. That if you have to choose between, pleas uh, between something pleasant and something unpleasant, choose the unpleasant thing. Unpleasant things, why are they more useful? Bad fortune. I think it's because they reveal the end of earthly life. All bad fortune is prophetic. Bad fortune is always prophetic. This is one reason why prophets are always stoned. Prophets don't often come bringing good news, or at least not good news which is not severely tempered with reproach. The prophets of the Old Testament were not put to death by angry mobs because they didn't want to hear about how great everything would be. The prophets of the Old Testament were the bad fortune of Israel. They were of more use than the sort of optimistic people who insisted things would be fine. Unpleasant things look forward to the conclusion of life. The end of a thing is better than its beginning, as Solomon teaches. So the unpleasant thing allows you to glimpse the end of your life. At the end of your life, all your pleasant things are taken away. At the end of your life, there's no more delicious food. There's no more consoling friends. There's no more comfortable bed to sleep in. There's no more money to spend. There's nothing left to buy. And any time you experience something unpleasant, it is a reminder of where this is all going. Unpleasant things always set life in its final perspective. Unpleasant things are a memento mori, a reminder to die. Every time something unpleasant occurs in our lives, we are asked this question, can you learn to take solace in the sort of things that cannot be taken away in death. Pleasant things are a comfort. They are a consolation. I have to do a few things this afternoon that I'm not really looking forward to, but I do have the consolation of a tasty dinner tonight. And I'm going to look forward to that tasty dinner while I do my unpleasant things. 
While I do my work, while I do my labor, I will look forward to the, the pleasant things that await me. But all the pleasant things that I'm looking forward to in the evening, like my tasty dinner, those will all be taken away from me someday. And were I to spill all of my tasty dinner when moving it from the kitchen to the table, if my dinner turned into Kevin's chili, what would I tell myself? Would I tell myself, I'll just make more? Or would I say to myself, well, this is where all food is ultimately going, away from me. When I am put into the ground, there's no more food. I am food, but there's no more food for me. If that's the case, is there anything that I am seeking during this life which consoles me, which will not be taken away when I am put into the ground? Do I have any reason to look forward to being put in the ground as opposed to mere fear and trepidation? Can you learn to take solace in the sort of things that death cannot take from you? Can you learn to take solace in Jesus Christ? If you can learn to take solace in Jesus Christ, death is something to anticipate. But if all of your consolations come from things that will be taken away in death, you should be very, very, very afraid to die. I'd like to finish this episode with a reading. A reading of a terrifying prayer. Perhaps you've never heard a terrifying prayer before. Perhaps the idea that prayers can be terrifying is somewhat off-putting. How could a prayer possibly be terrifying? A prayer can be terrifying if you really have no reason to look forward to meeting the God to whom you pray. I'll just leave that as the introduction to this prayer. This prayer has a title, sort of. The title of the prayer is Lord Bless My Enemies by St. Nikolai of Akrid. And this is simply the finest elucidation of today's proverb that you will ever find. If this prayer were more well-known, uh, I would be a bit chagrined uh, to read it as the conclusion of the show. But I would like to champion this prayer because I don't think it's all that commonly known. A terrifying prayer. Bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless them and do not curse them. Enemies have driven me into thy embrace more than friends have. 
Friends have bound me to earth. Enemies have loosed me from earth and have demolished all my aspirations in the world. Enemies have made me a stranger in worldly realms and an extraneous inhabitant of the world. Just as a hunted animal finds safer shelter than an unhunted animal does, so have I, persecuted by enemies, found the safest sanctuary, having ensconced myself beneath thy tabernacle, where neither friends nor enemies can slay my soul. Bless my enemies, O Lord, even I bless them, and do not curse them. They, rather than I, have confessed my sins before the world. They have punished me whenever I have hesitated to punish myself. They have tormented me whenever I have tried to flee torments. They have scolded me whenever I have flattered myself. They have spat upon me whenever I have filled myself with arrogance. Bless my enemies, O Lord, even I bless them and do not curse them. Whenever I have made myself wise, they have called me foolish. Whenever I have made myself mighty, they have mocked me as though I were a dwarf. Whenever I have wanted to lead people, they have shoved me into the background. Whenever I have rushed to enrich myself, they have prevented me with an iron hand. Whenever I thought that I would sleep peacefully, they have wakened me from sleep. Whenever I have tried to build a home for a long and tranquil life, they have demolished it and driven me out. Truly, enemies have cut me loose from the world and have stretched out my hands to the hem of thy garment. Bless my enemies, O Lord, even I bless them and do not curse them. Bless them and multiply them. Multiply them and make them even more bitterly against me, so that my fleeing to thee may have no return, so that all my hope in men may be scattered like cobwebs, so that absolute serenity may begin to reign in my soul, so that my heart may become the grave of my two evil twins, arrogance and anger so that I might amass all my treasure in heaven. Ah, so that I may for once be freed from self-deception, which has entangled me in the dreadful web of illusory life. Enemies have taught me to know what hardly anyone knows, that a person has no enemies in the world except himself. One hates his enemies only when he fails to realize they're not enemies, but cruel friends. It is truly difficult for me to say who has done me more good and who has done me more evil in the world, friends or enemies. Therefore, bless, O Lord, both my friends and my enemies. A slave curses enemies, for he does not understand. But a son blesses them, for he understands, for a son knows that his enemies cannot touch his life. Therefore he freely steps among them and prays to God for them. 
Bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless them and do not curse them. Amen. Someone I trusted like a mentor back uh, in college had a favorite saying, a saying that has several different variants. And the saying is this, the truth will make you free, but first it will make you angry. And if that prayer can make you angry, it can also make you free. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.